All right, we're so happy to um, have Putty Putman here as, as our speaker. Uh, I, I remember meeting Putty for the first time, probably 2012 or so. What, what year did Salkham start? 2011. 2011, okay, so it would have been 2012 in California. Happy Layman said, do this, it'll change your church. And you hear that all the time. You know, you hear that kind of stuff. Do this, it'll change your life, et cetera, et cetera. So, but, but I have a lot of confidence in Happy, so I kind of half believed it. I met Putty and liked Putty. And I came back that summer and I said, we got to do Sockham this year. And it was like July or August or something like that. And, and the rest of my team wisely said, we can't do it this year. And it was good because we needed to wait until Wilson was ready to lead Sockham. And uh, Sockham has had an incredible impact on this church. And uh, we're just so thankful that God's raised up Putty, that he said yes to the Lord, that he's pressing ahead into more every year, studying, growing, never becoming content, just pressing in more and more. So would you stand with me and give it up for Putty Putman? Gotta clip this back there. I'm coming through, sounds like. Oh man, what a night. What a week. God's good, huh? God is good, man. Well, um, I guess I get to try and put a button on this thing. Um, it's been it's been a wonderful time. Obviously, we're not we're not doing the conference thing quite as much as we were a few months ago. Uh, but I can't help but feel like the Lord made up for a bit of lost time. Uh, like this was really fresh. It was really great. Um, we had, man, just every session was so different, so good. We opened with Bob with some powerful uh, framing of the moment, uh, some incredible fathering in the prophetic, uh, which was just just beautiful. It was fantastic. Um, Van continued, and I was, I was so upset because Van was actually one of the sessions I was most excited about. And then, you know how sometimes, like, something pops up in ministry, and there's, like, no wiggle room? And that happened at, like, 10.59 when Van was right about to speak. So all I heard was from over there the laughter and the cheers for, like, an hour. So I don't know what it was, but it was awesome. I could tell it was awesome. So I'm going to get a copy and I'm going to listen to that. So I know that was fantastic. Of course, last night, Wendy, like, you're like, you're like the Gandalf <laughs> of like what's happening inside of us. Like seriously, it was great to just like open all of that up and put language to it. Like, I love that. That was so fun. Um, and then, of course, you know, getting to tag team with Clay this morning, so good. Um, Clay just, just exhorting us to be, uh, stay focused and stay filled. That was what I, that's what I took away, right? Stay focused and stay filled. Um, and that was so good. And, uh, you know, I was, I was trying to think about, like, how, how do you draw a conclusion to all this? And I don't know if I am or not, but I'll give it a try. Um, I, I want to talk tonight kind of thinking about going forward, right? 
So we've had a powerful week, um, but the next week is always coming, and we're about to step back into a real interesting year, aren't we? <laughs> it's been a nice little respite, but uh, how do we continue to press forward with everything that we've gleaned, everything that we've received um, this year so far? Well, to start, I want to actually put up a quote um, that I've just been reflecting on lately, which is just so powerful and kind of kind of speaks a little bit to what Van was just talking about in the introduction. Um, you can read it so well with the contrast on the screen. So I'll, I'll quote it to you. Don't worry about that. Um, it's, by, it's by a philosopher named Eric Hoffer. Ooh, wow. Wow. That was phenomenal. Unbelievable. So uh, maybe for those of you in the back, because we can read it in the front now, uh, it says this, in times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Doesn't that feel appropriate in our day? In 2020, <laughs> the learners will inherit the earth. And the learned will find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a 2019 that no longer exists. I think, I think that uh, frames something that's really important and really critical for us as we continue our journey forward from here. I actually, as I was kind of turning this quote over and, and I was reflecting a little bit, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've found myself, and, and maybe I alluded to this in, um, in, in the session this morning, I found myself kind of like repositioning myself to deal with the ongoing COVID thing, you know? Um, at the beginning, we're all like, it's going to be two weeks, and then we're like, it'll only be two months, and, you know, now it's like six months and counting, you know? And so I've been kind of revisiting that, rethinking about that. And I was like, okay, Lord, like, like how do we deal with this? How do we do this? And, um, you know, at first when things get hard, I don't know if you're like me, but you're like, okay, here's the strategy. It's to fill the tank. I got to keep the tank full. So you double down on your, on your times with the Lord. You double down on worship. You double down on prayer or whatever. You're filling the tank and it's, it's helpful. It's valuable. Um, but the approach of expending a bit extra effort to keep the tank full is not a strategy that you can continue forever, <laughs> right? You, you just run out of willpower. Like we're human beings, like, like it's hard to do that. So I've been asking the Lord, okay, Lord, like what's the new strategy for continuing to, to, to kind of like live in this weird year? And I felt the Lord remind me that the times when my spiritual life has been the most vibrant were not the times when I was trying to make it vibrant. They were the times when I had been caught by something. Sometimes I'll have, um, I'll have people ask me, and, and this is true, I think, at all levels of spirituality and leadership and discipleship and so forth. Sometimes people ask me to say, hey, what's, what's the most important thing in your mind for having a vibrant church? And, you know, that's a great question. And there's like a lot of things that go into a great church. But in my opinion, the one thing that if you don't have this, nothing else matters <laughs> is if the leadership is caught up with their own journey with God. As soon as it's like, look, I'm, I'm doing this primarily because of my journey with God is amazing. 
And the overflow of that gets to leak onto, onto everybody else. But as soon as you, you switch out of that and you're like, okay, I've got what I need with God. Now I'm focusing on how to minister to the people. As soon as that switch happens, what happens is it's like it, it, the, the vibrancy just begins to like leak out of the church. Like really, if, if you come to a church and, and the preacher's like, oh my gosh, guys, you have no idea. Man, Jesus and I in it, and I, I just, I don't even have words. He's so good. That church will never struggle to draw people. We'll never struggle to have people growing. It's, it's the vibrancy of our relationship with God. And that's not just true with church leadership. That's true with our own journey. If we stall out, we get stuck. In a year like 2020, because of all the change that's going on, I think this strategy feels counterintuitive. Doesn't it? And, and what I find actually is that spirituality as a whole is very counterintuitive. Oh, you want to you wanna break that, that addiction to pornography? Why don't you fast? Go without food. How's that supposed to help? <laughs> well, try it. Because sometimes what you do is you do something else and you find what else you do replaces the need that you were filling over here. If we will become learners, I bet we're going to have everything we need for 2020. I bet we'll be so full with the adventure that we have with God that we'll stop going to social media all the time. <laughs> that we'll stop filling ourselves up with Netflix and with every other distraction. <laughs> I bet we'll start doing all the stuff Wendy's talking about. <laughs> Man, the, the best time in your life, the best times in your life are when you're like, I wish I could just finish everything else so I could just talk to God again. I just want to say that again because I want to paint that picture. Man, I just wish I could be done with work so I could just talk to God undistracted again. If you're in that place, you're not going to have any problem with 2020. You're going to be just fine. And everybody else is like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, new outbreak, new, new political, new whatever. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually just trying to finish this thing so I can talk to God. So I'm not adding something else to the list right now. <laughs> we'll be okay. You know, let's just leave that one at the door. Really, if we, if we can come to that place of our obsession <laughs> with our own journey, the rest takes care of itself. So what I want to do is I want to talk about that. How does that work? You know, like, I would imagine if any of you are spending your Saturday night at church, <laughs> you want to grow. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think motivation's the issue if you're in the room tonight or if you're watching online tonight. Like, you want this, right? So, so how does it work? How do we get there? Well, I want to read um, a little passage here and unpack and explore what's going on in it. So this is in Galatians 4. And this is one of a few examples of scriptures that use this kind of language. Uh, you see the same thing in like Romans 8. Um, Jesus actually uses the same language at a few different times. And here's what it says. Uh, this is Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul's writing, he says, guys, because you're sons, because Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers, we get to be his brothers and sisters, we partake in God's family, and part of partaking in God's family is partaking in his spirit. And so we're each given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and there's this fascinating thing. It says the Holy Spirit in our hearts cries, Abba, Father. Now, what does that mean? Because the, the Holy Spirit's actually the one who pushes us along into the things of God. This is a little bit like what we were talking about this morning. Remember, we were talking about how, if you were here, um, the Spirit of God is the one who's always empowering the intention of the Father. So the Spirit of God inside of us, crying, Abba, Father, is empowering the intention of the Father to bring us up into the fullness of Christ. But what does that mean and why that language? Well, to unpack that, I want to talk about each of those words just a little bit, Abba and Father, because it turns out these are weird words to put together. This isn't like a super normal phrase to say Abba and Father together. And the reason why is they describe very different relationships that in the natural, we don't tend to have at the same time. Abba, as you likely know, was, was the Hebrew term, or maybe it was Aramaic, I don't remember, uh, one of those terms that Jewish boys would use, boys and girls would use for their fathers. And to get a picture of, of an Abba moment, the picture that comes to mind for me is uh, when I come home from work, I've got uh, three kids, actually they're over there, some of them are, um, Kayla, hi, can you see me? They're super embarrassed now. Hi, bud, hi, Ben. Ben's not embarrassed at all. Yeah, Ben, and I'm not sure where my other daughter is and my wife is somewhere else too, it looks like, right? So when I come home, I come home and the kids are usually in the middle of something, they're playing or whatever, and what happens is whenever the first of them realizes that I'm home, it, it plays out exactly the same every time. They'll, the first thing they'll do is they'll yell, daddy's home. And then there's a stampede, <laughs> right? And I have to like put stuff down quickly or whatever, because they are just going to barrel into me and they're going to get their hug, whether I was gone for half an hour or a full work day or whatever it is. Daddy's home, trample, hug, you know, <laughs> oh, love you kiddos, you know, that moment is a picture of the ABBA relationship. Daddy's home, run, hug. That's the Abba relationship. It's a relationship of uh, a child with a grown father. It's a relationship of, of trust and of dependency, a relationship of I know I'm safe because I know you're with me. That's the Abba relationship. The father relationship would be a used in a different context in, in, a, in Jewish society. So the, the way that things typically worked for a, a young Jewish man is they would have a few important demarcation points in their life. 
Interestingly, they're the same demarcation points we see in the upbringing of Jesus, where we get almost no snapshots, but a very few couple <laughs> of quick ones. The first would happen at their circumcision, where they would receive their, like, their Jewish name, and this was like, they are part of God's people, they are entering into God's covenant, the circumcision thing, right? And they are a part of our family. That's why we're naming them. So it's like this official thing. The next one would happen when the Jewish boy would get to be um, in their early teens. And they would begin um, the, the kind of internship with their father to learn the family trade, the family craft. Remember, their society is like so different from our society. They're not going off to college to get college degrees. Most of them, the overwhelming number of them, received a family business from their father. And so what would happen at 13 is they would begin to be about their father's business. They would work alongside their father and they would learn whatever it is, the fishing or carpentry or whatever else it would be. So you see, ah, this is why Jesus is at the temple and about his father's business at 13. Then the next one would happen when, when the, uh, the boy became fully of age and was uh, considered by Jewish society to be like a full-fledged adult. And what would happen, this would generally happen somewhere around 30 years old. And what would happen is the father would take the son to a public place he would put his hand on the son's shoulder and publicly declare, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he would use a word son to describe a new status of a fully grown son who is now an adult and a co-steward of the family with the father. So it was a, it was a I am now um, uh, in the presence of everyone acknowledging our co-stewardship together. It's not a coincidence. These are the three moments we see with Jesus, of course, right? But here's the thing. That word son would indicate a new relationship with the father, one of a joint stewardship. And now from that point forward, the Jewish boy would refer to their father using this word, father. It's not a father in the sense like for us, we use the word father to describe any offspring, right? For them, this is a, I am a fully grown son and we are co-stewarding this family closer to peers than to like high and low, if that makes sense. And so when, when the scripture is here is talking about this kind of language, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son. Both of those are the words, adult son, grown sons. Paul is actually making a contrast here. He's saying, before Jesus came, you were like the kids interning in God's house. That was Judaism. But now you've become full sons. You have, you have, you're co-stewarding God's family history with him. So we get the spirit of a son, and God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this is, this is the, oh yeah, l l let me give a picture, because I gave a, a, a natural picture of Abba. What's a natural picture of father? Here's a natural picture of father. Um, I've had the opportunity to, 
write a couple of books. You mentioned that, Amanda. Thank you. And um, my dad, a bit of backstory, my dad worked in publishing for like 40 years. So it's a, it's a family trade. And sometimes we'll go to breakfast together and just shoot the business about the trade. Hey, what book ideas you got? What are you thinking about? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this. What are you thinking about? And we have a conversation where we're talking about our family craft. But my, my dad's not like trying to discipline me. <laughs> Did you write five times this week? <laughs> He's not doing that. That's not the relationship, right? And at the, end of, at, at the end of breakfast, maybe I pay, right? Why? Because I'm, we're relating now on this level. That's the picture of that father relationship. So the interesting thing about this term, this, this, this verse is this. Apparently the Holy Spirit in our hearts is crying out, Abba, Father. And the weird thing is, no boy would ever have an Abba, Father relationship with their dad. You either have an Abba relationship or a Father relationship. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit in us cries, Abba, Father. <laughs> what, 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 what on earth is, is that supposed to mean? <laughs> How is, how is that supposed to work? Well, you know, it might not be shocking to you that our relationships with the infinite God are a little complicated and nuanced at times, right? So here's the thing. We have, at any given moment, both an Abba and Father relationship with God. And it seems to me that a big part of maturity in this thing called Christianity is knowing when to act in Abba and when to act in Father. Because it can flip back and forth in about 30 seconds. And, and if we're not able to ride that train, then things get confusing. Because your Abba relationship feels very different than your Father relationship. The way you pray in your Abba relationship is very different from the way you pray in your Father relationship. In your Abba relationship, you're like, God is so big and amazing. It's like when my kids climb into my lap and they're just like, I just want to be with you and you're big. <laughs> right? And it's just like, just hug me. Now squeeze me harder. Now squeeze me harder. I want to feel how strong you are. Right? In our Abba relationship, the emphasis is God is really big. In the father relationship, God turns around and says, you're really big. He goes, he goes I got a special thing for you. You and I, we get to relate as, as peers now. And at first, that's kind of disconcerting. You're like, peers with God? No, I'm not sure. Where's the, you know? <laughs> it would be bad if that's not what he asked us to do, but he asked it. I'm not asking you. He asked it, right? So in the Abba relationship, God's big. In the Father relationship, we're big too, which is weird. In the Abba relationship, the priority is intimacy. Let me climb up in daddy's lap. Let me just be close to him. In the Father relationship, the priority is stewardship and authority. Right? This is, I mean, this is like a, a great moment of this. Moses on the edge of the Red Sea, right? And he's like, he's like, God, help us! <laughs> Abba relationship. 
And God's like, I gave you a staff. Stretch it out, bro. <laughs> this is a father relationship moment, right? So Moses goes, oh, I'm, this one's on me? Oh, okay. And he lifts the staff up and, whoa, <laughs> it worked. You can drop the staff, run away, whatever, right? And so, so and, and this is how it works. In the Abu relationship, God solves your problems. In the father relationship, God empowers you to solve your own problems. It's part of the, it's just kind of part of the maturity process, and it's good. In the Abba relationship, it's all about dependence. In the father relationship, there's a standing on your own two feet aspect to it. There's a kind of independence, so to speak. These, these two relationships are markedly different. And I think one of the things that's unique about this is if we were to take our natural relationships as a parallel, we can get a bit confused. Because naturally, we're all born with an ABBA relationship with our parents, right? Like, like anybody else come out like eating and clothing themselves and earning money? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I doubt you did either, right? So we come out in a state of great dependency. And the better part of parenting is trying to bring our children from this kind of a relationship to this kind of a relationship. And when they get to this point, we usually feel like, oh, okay, we did our jobs. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, that's the point. And it's not that, like, you're ignorant of the fact that, like, you might have a few, little bit more life experience than me. Maybe I should listen to you. Like, that doesn't go away. But the, the dynamic of the relationship shifts. And so in our natural relationships... To stay in an Abba relationship forever is actually an immaturity. And once you have crossed into a father relationship, if you start trying to go back to an Abba relationship, that's also immaturity. Right? I'm 45, moving back into my dad's basement. <laughs> I'll go, ooh, <laughs> not so good. Right? So in our natural relationships, there's a development from an Abba relationship to a father-type relationship. And there is a dimension to which that is true in the, super, in the spirit as well. We are all born again into an Abba relationship, for sure. Particularly if your life crashed <laughs> into meeting Jesus. You get born again and you're like, I don't know anything. <laughs> and God's like, good. <laughs> We're ready to get started. And so we, we live in that, in that Abba-type relationship, and in time, God does introduce the father-type relationship with us as well, and that's usually very jarring to us, right? It's like, God, you're changing the contract on me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were supposed to solve all my problems. <laughs> why, why aren't you giving me the answer to every decision, God? What am I supposed to wear today? Why won't you tell me? <laughs> It's obviously a small example, but sometimes he does that on much bigger things. You know, God, should I take this job? Well, what do you want to do? Anybody ever get that? And then we're like, God, why do you do this to me? And he's like, because I want sons, not babies, sons. And, and just par parenthetically, I was, I was praying with somebody actually earlier on, on a, a kind of thing like this. They were looking at life transitions and stuff. So when you hit a life transition and you're praying, 
God, what do I do? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to whatever? When you hit that and God gives you that answer, which is not the answer you want, which is, well, why don't you figure this one out? Right? And we go, and we don't want to grit our teeth at God. Here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing you got to remember in that moment. God would not have let you make that decision with your wisdom if your wisdom was not enough for it. That's the piece we forget. We go, oh, I don't know. I'm going to crash and burn. No, God, if you were going to crash and burn, God would have told you. He's letting you make the decision because he knows you're not going to crash and burn. It's going to be okay. So you don't got to have that like anxiety about the choice. It's going to be all right. Just relax. Just make the best choice. And God's really going to bring stuff around if you make a dumb one anyway. So, so with God, we, we do wind up growing into a father relationship. But what's unique is we don't lose the Abba relationship at the same time. This is why the spirit within us cries, Abba, Father. The state of maturity for the believer is not to replace the Abba Father or the Abba relationship with a father relationship. It's to supplement it. It's to have, I wish I had three hands, an Abba and Father relationship at the same time. (laughs) Right? That's actually the state of maturity. And what that means is, is that we have to kind of like learn to understand at any given point and in any given situation, which conduit am I working through here? Because what I tend to do, what I think many of us tend to do is, first of all, I assume that a father relationship's more, more uh, mature than, a, than an Abba relationship. So first of all, I default to this because in my mind, that's maturity. And then a situation comes up which I don't realize is designed for this relationship here. I don't perceive that. So I keep relating to God in this way. And the situation comes up and I'm trying to tap my authority. I'm declaring what's going to happen. Right? I'm gathering the intercessors to do spiritual warfare. (laughs) 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 Or whatever it is, right? I am employing all of the father-level relationship things, and you just run into wall after wall after wall after wall. Because it's not the point. And then when you finally completely run out and give up, and you go, oh my gosh, God, are you even out there anymore? Fine. What are you saying? (laughs) And he goes, oh, it's one of these. But I think it would be really helpful to not bang your head up against the wall for two months before you change the channel. Do I, can, Jess and Andrew, can I bring you guys up here at this point? I'm going to do a, a visual. I hear you guys like some of my visuals sometimes. So we as human beings... Um, we, we have this thing that we run into with a lot of frequency. By the way, this is Jess and Andrew, both incredible members of the School King Ministry team. <clears throat> so we as human beings, we, we have this thing that makes relating to God difficult sometimes. And it's that he's infinite and we're not. And so in a zillion ways that we don't even realize most of the time, our own (laughs) non-infiniteness 
limits the ways that we can perceive and understand God. Uh, Wendy articulated like a ton of those like masterfully last night when it came to layers of like the beliefs and the emotions and all of that. Fantastic stuff. I want to go back. I'm reading your book, by the way, that Victorious Emotions. Van texted me like two weeks ago and he was like, I've never read two books twice except for this one or one other one. And I thought, oh, I should read that. <laughs> so I'm enjoying it. Good work. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. We're finite. And everything that we ever interact with, with the exception of God, is finite. Anything that you can see, anything that you can imagine, anything that you can experience is finite. What this means is there's likely no bucket in your mind that accurately portrays something infinite. So when you run into something infinite, like God, what we do, we don't mean to, but this is just the way it works because we're human beings. What we do is we conceive of God as big as the biggest thing that we have in our mind. So here's, here's the example. Let's suppose I grew up and I wrestled with, I don't know, I wrestled with depression growing up. And so it's this really tough thing. It's this re Eventually I get the book Victorious Emotions and it deals with it. But until that point, <laughs> until that point, I wind up really like wrestling and it's hard and it's challenging. But what happens is that dealing with depression becomes a journey with God. And it becomes a place where I make a contact, a connection with God, and God becomes real and concrete to me as I journey through that, such that at the end of that journey, I have the conclusion God is actually bigger than depression. So what happens is, and this is not in any way symbolic of uh, indicating Jess. I need a height disparity here. It's not personal. Okay? So <laughs> what happens is, as I'm wrestling with this stuff, my picture of God is going, and let's say Jess is the, the height of depression. My, <laughs> sorry. My, my picture of God goes, bing, God is bigger than depression. Oh, this is so great. And I, and I walk in freedom and it's amazing and it's fantastic. And you know what happens? This height is the height that I can relate to God as father. Why? Because I've inherited something in him there. I'm an heir of God up to this line. And so this is the place I have authority. Someone goes, oh, I'm struggling with depression. I go, oh, great. I've got the answer to for it. Because I know God is the God who beats depression. That's going to be great. Oh, let me pray for you. We pray for them. They, ah, they get healed and it's great. Right? <laughs> That's usually what happens when I pray for depression. No. <laughs> and so I'm walking through God. I'm walking through life and I have this picture of God. Now here's the tricky thing. If depression's the biggest thing I've ever faced, I don't realize that there's stuff taller than this. So I'm like, God's the biggest. God's amazing. I think that I believe that he's infinite. But I just can't conceive of infiniteness. And so I'm doing good with my depression-beating picture of God. And I'm doing great. And then what happens is you run into 2020. 
<laughs> Thank you. And 2020, <laughs> so good. 2020, here, can you scoot here? 2020 is a little bit bigger. And all of a sudden, you need to be this tall to ride the ride. And your God's not that tall yet. And so what happens is by life, you're confronted with something. And now, this is the fascinating, this is the interesting thing, right? This is the height to which I know God is Father. To survive 2020, this is the gap to which I need to grow with God as my Abba. You see that? I've got God as Father here. I'm good with that. I run into this, I need a bigger picture of God, and the only way that my picture of God grows is if I'll switch into that Abba mode. Remember, with, with the Father picture, my focus is I'm as big as God. With the Abba picture, the focus is God's bigger than me. So where does God get bigger? When you're knowing him as Abba. Not, not when you're operating in the father relationship. When you're operating in the Abba relationship, you, you have this gap. And so what, what's happening for so many of us, thank you, by the way, you guys both rock. <clears throat> what's happening for so many of us is we're hitting that gap where we need more in our relationship with God than we've got. And unless we realize, oh, that's not a problem. It just means I need to switch into that Abba mode and receive from God to get more than I was able to get before. The learners shall inherit the earth. <laughs> what if we allow ourselves to switch into learner mode when it comes to God? And when you see this, you see this kind of stuff happens all the time in the Bible. Let me just read a, an example here because it's been a little bit since I've read a scripture and that always makes me a little uncomfortable as a recovering Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Any other recovering Baptists in the room? A couple of us? Yes. Recovering Baptists unite. <laughs> After this meeting, we'll all go do a wanna and have a potluck. It's going to be so good, guys. It's going to be so good. You're not the only one in the Lord's army, Clay. <laughs> Samuel, 1 Samuel 30. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They overcame Ziklag and burned it with fire and took captive the men and women who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captives, uh, 
Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. Now, now pause here. Remember, this is the David whose God was big enough to kill the lion and the bear. This is the David whose God was big enough to run towards Goliath. But David's God is not big enough for this moment. He's hit his Abba Gap. Oh, I'm going to trademark that. That's so good. <laughs> that sounds like a store. <laughs> the Abba Gap. Love it. You guys from California aren't allowed to take that. Yeah. <laughs> They're rolling their eyes. They're like, yeah, you Midwest losers. <clears throat> I know I'm not cool. I've made my peace with that. <laughs> David, <laughs> strength. <laughs> Seriously, I'm actually totally okay with that. <laughs> David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And then David steps in and begins to lead. You see these moments all over the Bible where it's someone who, who legitimately knows God, often has like powerful ministries, and they hit a place where they have an Abba gap. And they need to learn to navigate that Abba gap well. A couple of examples. Moses confronting Pharaoh. Oh my gosh, God, I can't do it. I don't even know how to talk, even though I'm having a conversation with the living God. Can't talk to Pharaoh. He's too scary. God, you're not scary. Pharaoh's scary. Right? What about Joshua succeeding Moses? Can you imagine how intense that must have felt? I'm supposed to follow him. You wouldn't even let him across the river. You want me to go across the river? Are you serious? Gideon. Man, his whole journey is like one big identity crisis. Over and over and over again, we, we, we see these people hit these Abba gaps, right? And navigating around these Abba gaps, I'm convinced, is actually one of the big keys to this Christian journey and it going well. It, my experience is this, the father relationship is, is easy. It's natural. Once the Lord opens you up there, it's like, yeah, because we, we all want to be peers, we all like feeling powerful. We all like feeling those things. The Abba relationship tends to feel uncomfortable for us because it involves those hard things like submission, those hard things like letting go, yielding any sense of control. All of those things live in that Abba place. And so we tend to want to only go there at the last possible cost. It's like, if there's no other option, fine, I'll submit to you, God. <laughs> Grit my teeth all doing it. In this weird time that we live in, I want to suggest, I think the Abba relationship might need to become our new default. I think that Abba relationship 
might need to become our new default. You're gonna have moments where you get to have that father relationship and it'll be great. Does anybody else, so I'm somewhere in the line between strategic prophetic or something like that. I usually feel like I can see a trajectory of where things are gonna go for about the next three to five years. Not precisely, of course, but like, oh, I see these things heading in that direction. I can kind of chart out that's where I'm gonna go. Ever since this year happened, I feel like I can see about three days. <laughs> and there's just nothing. It's just complete fog. I, I think that's how these historical Kairos moments go. I think when God is doing all the stuff we talked about this morning, when he's shearing apart the spiritual chaos to form structure from it, when he's filling the world with new life and engaging in that new creation process, the, the, the distance that you can see gets really short. And so you can live in a tortured relationship where you think that you're supposed to be able to see as far as God can see. And constantly feel like you're failing the point of your relationship with God. Or we can realize the point of this season is to get real comfortable in that Abba place. To be like, wow, God, you're so big. Like, I just love, you've got the whole world in your hands. I don't need to see past the next three days because I know you've got past the next three days. I don't need to understand what's gonna happen with my finances. You've got my finances. I don't need to understand what's gonna happen with my family, with my whatever concern you have, my health. You've got it, God, you've got it, it's okay. We crawl up in God's lap, like my kids crawl up in my lap when I get home. And we say, God, you know what? I kinda wanna just feel your bigness for a minute. Guys, it's actually such a good and such a beautiful place to be to yield any sense of like, I think I can control this thing. Here's the deal. You can, first of all, you could never control your life. <laughs> but we used to at least think that we could, right? Well, you definitely can't control hardly anything right now. But the good news is we're not like those people that means well, there's no other option. My experience is that a big part of the kingdom, God gives us, he gives us choices where he goes, well, here's the deal. Either you can be in control of that or I can. Which would you rather? <laughs> right? And oftentimes he gives us that choice a lot. So we go, oh, well, I'd like control for this or I'd like control for that or whatever. Well, in this time, we don't really get that choice. We don't get the choice to be in control, but the good news is when things are outside of your control, I find that they're usually more often in his. When things are outside of your control, <laughs> you can rest easy that they're probably in his. <clears throat> when you're trying to fill the Abba gap, <laughs> never, this is actually the first time I've ever preached this message I'm never going to be able to preach this message again without laughing <laughs> when you're working to fill the Abba gap your best friend is this uncomfortable thing called humility 
<clears throat> James 4, verses 5 through 7. Do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? I, I love this verse. This is one of those verses we skip over because we're like uncomfortable with the idea of God being jealous. Things like that. It's okay. It's safe in his hands. It's just not safe in ours. He yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. You know that God has like plans to get a greater grip on your spirit. He does. Like he's up there plotting. He's like, oh, I see putty spirit. I love that spirit. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> I want more of it. He yearns over over that yielding of our spirit to his. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you hit that Abba gap, you know what you need? Grace. You don't fill that gap. God fills that gap. God's the one who unveils to you who he is. He goes, buddy, I, remember, I'm infinite. You can't, even, you can't even see all of me. Which, by the way, just parenthetic aside, which I think is totally fun. If God is actually infinite, that means there's always more of him to learn than however much you know. There's always more of him to connect with than however much you have. So you are always just getting warmed up. <laughs> as soon as you think that you're not, we're already like off on a bad path, right? So God's like, you can't even see all of me. Like you, you can't push your picture from here to here, but I can. You know what you need? You need grace. And what I find is this, when I hit that place, where I, I need to shift from here to here. You know what it is? Pride versus humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's so good to be low. It's so good to be low. Guys, I know it feels painful and like it takes some getting used to, but it's so good to be low. It's so good to be free from the need of all the things. I had someone ask, we were doing the prophetic lunch thing a couple of days ago, and someone said, well, how do you handle it like when you miss it and all of this stuff? And I'm like, when I miss it? First of all, I miss it all the time, so don't, don't think I'm saying... Can do that. Okay, fun. Gosh, it was going to be such a good point, whatever it was. Um, no, yeah. What do you do when you miss it? What do you do when you try and prophesy and it's wrong? What do you do when you step out to pray for healing and it doesn't connect? I said, don't you realize that obeying God and it not looking great is a privilege? 
that we're only going to have for about 80 years. When we get it right, you know who celebrates? Earth celebrates. When we obey and we get it wrong, you know who celebrates? Heaven celebrates. Jesus himself says, he goes, don't let your praise come from men because you won't get it from God then. If I pray for you and you get healed and we celebrate, that's the reward for that moment. If I pray and nothing, nothing sticks, that's a crown that I get to pick up a little bit later. It's not about me and it's not about you. Like, don't get me wrong, you're great. You're an imager. You're the best thing that's ever been made. But it's still not about you. There is one who's so much better. And we get the incredible privilege of adopting that posture of humility. Of saying, God, I've hit a place where you're this big to me. And then 2020 hit my life. Then, and, and here's what I'm finding. I think many of you are experiencing this as well. God seems bent on this this year to the extent where it's not just the circumstances. He's going out of his way to like turn up the pressure on people. Have you seen that? How many of you are in a transition that doesn't feel like it makes any sense right now? Hands up, hold them up, hands up. Okay, well, look around the room, look around the room. A transition that makes no sense in the worst year of your life to make a transition. God is turning the pressure up on this, not down. He's like, he's like, we're going to get them nice and uncomfortable. So they learned this Abba thing really good. And it is really good when you let it be good. It's really good. You know, Jesus to me seems like he's able to hop back and forth between these relationships. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to Calvary and all that, what is he praying? Abba, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this, but not my will, yours be done. He's posturing himself in that Abba relationship. And the next day, what's he saying as he's hanging on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is able to access both of these things. That's why he teaches us to pray that way. Abba, Father, <laughs> right? Hallowed be your name. This is, this is the posture of our relationship with God. And don't let the one door get comfortable and the other one uncomfortable. Don't let the one space feel easy and the other space feel hard. Guys, there's going to be plenty of father moments this year. I promise you. What I find is when you let yourself go into that Abba posture, that's when you get ratcheted up in power. His power is made perfect in weakness, right? So, so when you allow yourself to take this place as that picture of God is growing, you're getting perfected in power. God has no intention of wasting that. So you're getting upgraded in power and there's gonna be those moments when you get to speak to the storm and those crazy things happen and that's fantastic, right? But I think, I think, I think, I think that a big part of the point of this season is to park ourselves in Abba until we see something that says otherwise. 
flop over, flop back. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But Abba, this is hard. Abba, I depend on you. Abba, you are good. I don't think it was an accident that we had such powerful, intimate worship tonight. You know, sometimes we have worship sets that are all like declaratory and amazing. I love those worship sets. Those are father worship sets. We had an Abba worship set. We had an Abba worship set tonight. Because this is what the Lord's doing. Which speaking of, Peter, am I allowed to ask if you can play one of those songs as we move to prayer? <laughs> I like. <laughs> I like. Do we have words for that? Is that going to be confusing? Oh, who cares? Just sing it. It'll be great. Let's, let's let him sing over us here or sing with us or however we want to do that. You got to get your ears. Okay. I'll, t- I'll tell a joke. I don't have a joke. I'm not funny either. I'm not cool. I'm not funny. I'm not rich. I'm, like, I'm so good. I'm so good, guys. I'm so good. I know, I know we as kingdom people, maybe this isn't the message that we start with all the time. You guys know I love the kingdom as much as I am. I love nothing more. That kingdom's coming on you. Ah! You guys know I love that stuff. I love that stuff. But the mission of God, without the heart of God and the relationship of God, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I don't think we're hurting in this season for lack of missional capacity. I think we're hurting for lack of relational depth. I think we're, we're hurting because we have an gap. But that's okay. It's actually totally okay to have that. I think God loves it when we have that. You know, there's something really special to a father. When your kids do scream when you come home. And they do run up to you. It's just a different moment. I love hanging with my dad. It's great. It's not that moment. It's not that moment. That's the moment we get to move the heart of God with. We don't have to resist that moment, guys. It's beautiful. And we're the only ones who can give him that. He gets praise from the angels. The angels don't move his heart. You good to go, minstrel? (laughs) 